My name is Art Alice Green. Welcome to Grace. Glad you're here. Um, you know, when you get, used to be when you get good news, we would tell somebody directly, you know, happy you're going to have a baby. It's a boy. It's a girl. I got the job. Um, cancer's in remission. Made it to the top of the mountain. Yeah. University of Virginia wins a national championship. Tiger Woods makes the greatest comeback in sports history. But now when we get news or good news, we put it on Twitter and Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. You ever wondered if the resurrection happened today? Would Jesus have employed social media? Would he have posted something? Would he have FaceTimed his disciples and said, let's skip going to Galilee, which is kind of a little FaceTime conference? Maybe. Uh, <laughs> would Jesus have sent word to the disciples saying, I'm back. I'm alive. I'm no longer dead. Would he have sent a Facebook note to um, Pilate, to the religious authorities, saying, how do you like me now? <laughs> Peter, um, after he had fallen, this is what he could have tweeted. Hashtag, made big mistake. Hashtag, overestimated myself. Hashtag, underestimated temptation. Hashtag, I'm done. Hashtag, I failed. Hashtag, I quit. Peter went from the very top of the mountain to the very bottom. Peter had bottomed out. Jesus is far less interested in making a public appearance than he is in making a personal encounter. And Jesus wants to encounter you today through his spirit. Peter was so disappointed in himself when Jesus was arrested by the authorities, Peter followed closely behind to see what would happen. He stood outside, warming himself beside the fire. He was recognized by a little servant girl. And she said, you're one of his disciples, aren't you? Someday someone's going to recognize you also. They're going to say, you're one of his. You're one of his disciples. You follow after Jesus, don't you? But Peter denied any association with Jesus. And then the rooster crowed. Jesus and Peter had met beside the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had said, follow me, and I will make you into a fisher of men. And that's really what our church is about, helping people to follow after Jesus. And then their lives being transformed by Jesus, by the truth of the word of God, by the spirit in the context of community. And then being sent out on mission. Peter was on a mission. For three years, he had followed after Jesus. And he said, if all the others fall away, yet I will not. He pledged his loyalty to Jesus, but under pressure, he failed. Peter said, I'm going back to fish. I'm not that much of a disciple. I'm not that great of a Christian. I think I'll go fishing again. Now, there's nothing wrong with fishing. Peter is thinking that perhaps he'll fish with his buddies. He's discouraged and disillusioned. He's defeated. Some of you are exactly like Peter. You say to yourself, I knew better. I don't know what I was thinking, but I'm just full of shame. Unbeknownst to Peter, Jesus had come to the Sea of Galilee to encounter him. So he yelled out to his disciples, friends, do you have any fish? We might say, have you caught anything? Or are they biting? They said no. And what I like about the story is the disciples were honest with Jesus. You see, if you ask a fisherman if he's caught anything, he, if they are, they don't want to give away their honey hole. And if they aren't catching fish, they don't want to admit it out of pride. 
But they said, no, we haven't caught anything. And Jesus said, throw your net on the right side of the boat. And when they did, the nets began to break and the boat began to sink. And Peter hauled in this humongous catch of fish. And when they landed on the shore, they saw this fire burning coals. Now, Peter had denied Jesus beside a fire burning coals. And Jesus had a question to ask Peter beside this fire of burning coals. Peter had become a disciple beside the Sea of Galilee, and he had given up being a disciple beside the Sea of Galilee. And now Jesus was going to ask him a question beside the Sea of Galilee. You see, it's so easy to succumb. It's so easy to lose focus. It's so easy to fall to the temptation. It's so easy to lose heart. It's so easy to drift away. Some of you began this journey many years ago. You were raised in a Christian home, but your childhood faith has been battered by the pressures and temptations of adulthood. You don't know whether you still believe. So maybe this is not only Peter's question, maybe this is your question. This is what Jesus said to Peter. He said, Simon, son of John, just got one question for you. Do you truly love me more than anything else? Do you love me more above everything else? Peter had to weigh the question. And he said, yes, Lord, I have some affection for you. I have some fondness in my heart. Yeah, you and I are friends. Then Peter said to him, or Jesus said to him three times, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep. You see, Peter, you aren't finished. You're just getting started. You aren't done, Peter. Your best days are ahead of you. You are now hereby recommissioned. You've got some sermons to preach. You've got some disciples to make. I've got some work for you to do, Peter. And God has some work to do in you. And God has some work to do through you. You see, people get caught up with negative emotions and negative self-talk. What happens when we get disappointed with ourselves is we often turn inward and begin to turn against ourselves. What Peter is feeling right now is very bad about himself. He's feeling worthless, stupid, a failure. Question is, how do we turn this hopelessness and despair, self hatred around. We must replace the self-hatred with the love of God, to let the love of God come into our inner being. And we must displace the lies that we are believing with the truth. You see, there were a lie, a stronghold Peter was believing. The lie he was believing was, you can't do this. And the truth Jesus would teach him is, you can. The lie he was believing was, he is a failure forever. The truth that Jesus was going to give him was, you are forgiven. The lie he was believing was, you won't ever get over this. And Jesus would teach the truth, it's done. You see, Jesus was encountering Peter. And Jesus would encounter you. And what I find about Jesus is that he's less interested in public appearances and much more interested in personal encounters. He pursues people. He's been pursuing you. He comes after people. He's coming after you. 
You see, he would encounter Peter in his shame and restore him. There's another story of an encounter. There was Mary Magdalene. She was the last one at the cross, and she was the first one to the tomb. She brought linen wraps. She brought spices to anoint the body of Jesus. And she's weeping outside the tomb. Mary had had a tough life. She had seven demons cast out by Jesus. She had sinned much in her life and forgiven much, and she loved much, and she and Jesus connected. But at the tomb, she was with deep, deep sorrow. And some of you here feel trapped in your sorrow. You feel as if happiness will never come. You feel as if joy is only an illusion. You know the sorrow of a marriage that didn't work out. You know the sorrow of the death of a loved one, of a dream that did not happen. And what I find amazing about Jesus is he called Mary by name. He said, Mary. He knew all about her past. He knew all about her struggles. He knew all of her history. He knew all of her pain. He knew everything about Mary, and he loved her. He was coming after her, pursuing her, comforting her in her sorrow. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. This is a series we're in now. This is the second week of our series. And this is how Paul begins this section of Ephesians. Ephesians 1, verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks to God for you. The people that Paul is writing to in this letter had had a life-changing encounter with Jesus. Paul is sitting in his prison cell, and he's heard about their faith. You see, faith has a starting point. And once faith begins in our life, our faith sustains us through the hard times. Some of them were fairly new in their journey. They were living in a cross, in a multicultural city, Ephesus, that was known as one of the wonders of the world, the temple to Artemis. And there were many followers of Artemis in the city of Ephesus. And the people of the city were always trying to please Artemis, believing he would punish them if they did wrong. But they were coming to faith. The believers were coming to faith. And they were laying down their idolatry and their sexual immorality, and they were following after Jesus. You see, in this city, sexual immorality was a literal business. Men and women were prostituting themselves to follow after this false god. And many in the city of Ephesus were indifferent to Christianity. Some of the people in the city were hostile to Christianity. And this letter is written to us sort of as a survival letter for a believer living amidst those who are indifferent or hostile to the faith. And the second thing that Paul notes about them is their love for all the saints. John says that we have passed from death unto life if we have love for one another. Jesus said it this way, by this all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. If you love those little precious kids that God has given to you, if you make room in your household to foster, to adopt other children coming and showing the love of God. You see, if we love each other, we prove ourselves to be his 
disciples. You see, what was happening was these people were beginning to grapple with their sin. You don't have to carry the stain and the pain of your past. Yesterday, I was carrying out some trash, and it was a big bag of trash, and the trash bag broke, and I saw, I saw everything that was inside the trash bag. There were eggshells, there was a uh, watermelon rind, there were dirty tissues, and I began to think about my sin and the things we often carry through this life, of how ugly and heavy our sin is. You don't have to carry that sin anymore because Jesus carried that sin of yours to the cross. And he said, it is finished. You don't have to carry it anymore. You can lay it down, lay it down at the cross. And that what was happening here. These believers were laying down their sin at the cross and putting their faith in Jesus and their love for him was made new. He says, in light of your faith and your love, Paul gave thanks to them. You know, thankfulness flows out of a heart that overflows. Always we precede our, our petitions with praise. Praise and thanksgiving should always come before our prayers. Now there's a time to pray. But before we pray, we need to work at being thankful. And Paul is very thankful for these believers. And this is how he prays for them. And this prayer will transform your life. It will totally change how you pray. The first thing he prays for is that God would give to them a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. One of the operations of the spirit of God is to take the knowledge of God and apply it to a situation, giving to us wisdom. He's praying that these believers would have a spirit of wisdom. Secondly, he's praying for them to have a spirit of revelation. A second operation of the spirit is of God is he unveils to us things formerly hidden from our eyes. He reveals things to us. And the purpose why God gives to us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation is that we might know him better. And Paul prays that the eyes of their hearts might be enlightened. He's praying over them for illumination, for spiritual sight. You ask, what is illumination? What is spiritual sight? Spiritual sight is when the Spirit of God illumines to our hearts spiritual truth so that we can know God better. You see, it's not enough to simply know the facts in your mind. You have to feel the reality in your heart. You see, in the Greek, there's two words for knowledge. The first word for knowledge is oida, which means facts or data. You see, I can know something about honey. I can buy a jar of honey from the honey store. I can bring the jar of honey home. I can know the honey is golden. I can know the honey comes from bees. But the second word for knowing is experiential knowing. This is what he's praying about this experiential knowing of God. You see, I can open up the jar of honey and taste the sweetness of the honey. The taste of the honey begins to explode in my mouth. And when God grants spiritual sight to us, 
He takes the doctrines of the gospel we understand with our minds, and he makes them burst alive with sweetness in our hearts, that God becomes real to us, that God becomes personal, that I know that I am loved, and I know that I am forgiven, and I know that I am redeemed, and I know that I have been chosen. And this was Paul, David's prayer. Lord, open the eyes of my heart that I may see wonderful things from your law. You know, I've never had LASIK surgery, have you? Some of you here have had LASIKs. Well, a friend of mine saw an ad in the newspaper that said, get your LASIKs here and get the second eye done free. So being Dutch and trying to save money, he made an appointment to have the LASIK surgery. He arrived early and um, they gave him a Xanax, which kind of chilled him out. They put him in this harness and the, the doctor said to him, are you ready? And he says, I guess I'm about as ready as I'll ever be for this eye surgery. And so about then he started having second thoughts. He said, who would sign up for a surgeon who gives one eye and then gives a second eye free? He began, he began questioning his own judgment, if you will. And then he began smelling burning. Something was burning in the room. And he wondered, what's burning in here? Then he realized it was him. And about 11 minutes into this surgery, it was all finished. And guess what? He could see. He could see what he couldn't see before. He could see things in the future, things that were far, things that were far away from him. He could see them. They came close to him. You see, what happened was he experienced illumination. Elijah said to his servant, when he was surrounded by the enemy, don't be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are against us. And Elijah prayed, O Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened his eyes and he looked and saw the mountains full of horses and men. You see, if God were to pull back the shades and you could see things as they really were, you would see a vast army of legion, of angels, that are on your behalf, that are sent from God to protect you every time you drive down 270. They're with you. I promise you, God is with you, but you just can't see it in the natural. And this is what I want you to hear. Almost all of your spiritual problems come from a lack of sight. Because what you know with your mind, you don't feel in your heart. Have you ever felt sort of spiritually dry? You ever felt just cold in your heart? Like something's missing. Like there's something more. Like what's in your head is really not in your heart. Many of you here have been Christians since you were very little. You've been well versed in the facts. But you don't feel them in your heart. They no longer move you. They no longer captivate you. They no longer wow you. It's not some new fact about Jesus you need to learn. It's not like I'm going to explain to you some doctrine and you're going to say, okay, now I have the missing piece. No, basically the problem is you're a little bit like the Grinch. Your heart has shrunk. <laughs> you need to let the Holy Spirit breathe some life into you, some breathe some newness into you to make your heart grow again. 
Some of you here are not feeling Easter. You say, how do you fix that? You need to let the eyes of your heart be enlightened to see the truth you already know. You see, knowing God is a little bit like a well. You don't get better water from the well by widening the circumference of the well. You get better water from the well by digging deeper. Digging deeper. So I'm going to ask you a question. Do you want to dig just a little deeper today? You want to go a little deeper into the Christian life to maybe understand a little bit more to let your heart come alive. That was your part. Okay. All right. (laughs) That was me. Now that was you. Okay. So Paul prays four prayers over these believers. And the first of them is they might know the certainty of their hope, that you might know the certainty of your hope. Now, we have an English word, hope. In English, the word hope usually refers to something we want to see happen, but we're not sure it's going to happen. So we say words like, I hope so. For instance, we hope the Redskins have a much better year next year than this year. Or Oriole fans, we hope the Orioles win a few games this year. Or we say, I hope you feel better. Or I hope, um, I hope you get the job. Or I hope you hear something soon. Every person in this room needs some hope. Soldiers need hope. When they finish their mission, they can go home to their families. And students need hope that if they do the work, they can pull up their grades. And injured athletes need hope that if they do the rehab, they'll be able to play next season. And people lying in hospitals need hope that they'll get better and wonder if they will. And people in struggling marriages hope that their marriage will take a turn for the better. And people going through divorce need hope that there's a life beyond this divorce. You see, just as electricity is necessary for a light bulb and water is necessary for a fish to swim and a lift is necessary for an airplane to fly, so hope is necessary. You can live 40 days without food and you can only live about three days without water, but you can't live long without hope. Without hope, we find ourselves between depression and despair. You see, biblical hope is not something we're unsure of. Biblical hope is something we are absolutely sure of. It just hasn't happened yet. Hope is something you know is going to happen, and we get pretty fired up about. You see, I grew up feeling somewhere between depression and despair. I believed that my life would never get better. I believed that happiness was only an illusion. I believed that joy would never come. I believe I grew up feeling hopeless. And if you feel hopeless this morning, I completely identify with you. But I know something about the journey from moving from hopelessness to hope, about being filled with hope. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you place your trust in him, that you would overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you allow God this Easter to pour a little hope into your heart? You know, God often strips away the lesser hopes, 
that our hope could be placed entirely in Him. And those who place their hope in Him will never, ever be disappointed. So the first thing he prays is that we might know that we know the certainty of our hope. The second thing he prays is that we might understand our worth to God. I pray that you might know what are the riches of his inglorious inheritance in the saints. Now, honestly, people jump right over that prayer because it sounds a little bit like religious mumbo-jumbo. What is this riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? But let's take a closer look to see what he said because that's an awesome thought. First of all, the question you want to ask is, whose inheritance is it? Whose inheritance is he speaking of? Is he speaking of Israel's inheritance moving into the land? Is he speaking of the believer's inheritance going to heaven? No, he's speaking about God's inheritance. The inheritance here is God's. God has an inheritance coming to him. Yes, he does. Have you ever thought about the dilemma of trying to buy something for somebody and that somebody already has everything? You wonder, what can I give to this person who already has everything? What do you give to God who already has everything? What do you give to God who can just literally speak something into existence? The answer is you. You have enormous value to God. You have been adopted into God's family. You are his son, his daughter. These are your brothers and sisters. You've been invited to sit at his table. You are God's inheritance. You matter to God. You have enormous value. He gave his son to redeem you, and he will cherish you through all of eternity. What is God's inheritance? The answer is you. God is crazy in love with you. If God had a refrigerator, he'd put your picture on that refrigerator. If God had a cell phone, your picture would pop up first. The one thing I know for sure is that God loves you. And to get what he didn't have, he went to a bloody cross. And this is almost too glorious to comprehend. God, who literally had everything, could have whatever he wanted. He set his heart upon you. He submitted to the pain, the humiliation of the cross to have you. You see, to create the heavens and the earth cost God nothing. But to redeem your soul cost his son his very life. But he did it with the joy that was set before him, enduring the cross, despising the shame. Jesus looked down from the cross and saw his future offspring, his sacrifice would produce, and was satisfied. Listen to this. In the hour of Jesus' greatest trial, you were his living hope. Isn't that an astounding thought? That's what he's praying for us to comprehend, that we might understand that we are his inheritance. And the third thing he prays here is God's power at work in you. I pray that you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe that was working in Christ when he raised him back from the dead. You know, you can measure the strength 
of a hurricane. And we've seen the devastation the hurricanes have brought. You can measure the strength of an earthquake. And we've seen what earthquakes are capable of. You can even measure the power of an, of an engine. But you can't measure the immeasurable greatness of God's power. God wants you to know the power of his working in you and around you and through you in the world. And the nature and magnitude is measured by the power of the resurrection. You see, if Paul wanted to convince you simply about God's power, he would have spoke about God's power in creation. In creation, God created everything out of nothing. Without a word, God created 3,000 billion trillion stars. And each star puts out enough energy equal to a trillion megaton atom bomb exploding every second. And there are now 5 million, some stars are 5 million times brighter than our sun. And God spoke that into existence. He's a powerful God. But believe it or not, there's a greater power than creation. It is the power of the resurrection. Because in creation, God brings life out of nothing. But in resurrection, God brings life back from the dead. You see, on that Easter morning, man did everything he could think of to keep Christ in the ground. He rolled a stone up against that entrance. He placed a guard beside the stone. He sealed that stone with the hot wax. But on Easter Sunday morning, what happened was that stone got rolled away. And that grave got empty because you cannot keep a good man down. Jesus Christ said, I'm going to rise again from the dead. How do you like me now? I'm back. I'm alive. You see, Jesus has the power to redeem our lives and transform us. And this is exceedingly good news. Why? because we have destroyed our beautiful lives through terrible choices we have made and addictions and broken relationships. The good news is that if Christ, if God brought Jesus back to life out of death, he can bring life and healing back to the mess you've made of your life. You need to hear that God has power. Hey, if you don't remember that God is all-powerful, omnipotent. Just remember that God is able, that my God is able, that my God is able to redeem to the uttermost. My God is able to save. My God is able to bestow grace upon his children. My God is able to help you. My God is able to heal you. My God is able to strengthen you. My God is able to comfort you. My God is able. You need to know that he has power. He has power to help you. If he restored the dead Jesus back to life, that very same Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Amen. But there's one more thing that Paul prays for, the finality of Jesus' rule. He says, I pray you might see. He put all things under his feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church. 
I pray you might see that Jesus is a warrior, that Jesus went to battle, and that battle was fierce. And he fought, the enemy brought everything against him. But Jesus has won the battle. The battle is won, and Jesus is on the throne. And the main thing that God is doing in this world is he is building his church. The church is his focal point, the apex of what God is doing in the world. The church is not an optional weekend event. The church is not a building. The church is people redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, people in whom the power of the Holy Spirit flows. Well, there was one disciple. I want to speak of him as we close. When Jesus was crucified, he needed a little more time. And maybe this morning you need a little time to think about this. He was, I call him the reflective one. Some call him the doubting one. But he was one of those students who raises his hand and says, I don't understand. I have a question. You see, Thomas wasn't there when Jesus appeared to his disciples. And he said, I don't believe. And maybe this morning you don't believe either. You may be like Thomas. You just got all these questions, all these doubts, all this struggle to believe. You say that if God takes attendance, I'll be there on Easter Sunday morning because it's important. But I don't know if I really believe because I have questions. You may believe that God only loves perfect people, but your life doesn't measure up to perfection. You may have a question about how, does God, how do you reconcile all this evil in the world with that God is so good? There was a shooting yesterday in Frederick at one of the churches. There's a lot of evil in our world. And you have questions, and I have my questions, and Thomas had his questions. And he said, I won't believe unless I see the nail prints in his hand, but I put my fingers into the holes and put my hand into his wound, into his side. Remember what I said, that Jesus is not into public appearances. He's into personal encounters. And Thomas encountered Jesus seven days later. The doors were locked. They were afraid. And Jesus came into that room and he said, peace to you. And I think the word that Jesus would say to you today is peace to you. I was wounded, but I was wounded to make you whole. I was broken, but that was for your healing. Peace be to you. The matter has been settled. Your sin has been paid for. I have conquered death with my resurrection. And Jesus appeared to him and said, Peace be to you. Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand in the wound in my side. Don't be faithless, unbelieving any longer. And Thomas said, My Lord and my God. And these words Jesus said to him, You believe, Thomas, because you have seen and believed. But blessed are those who believe, who haven't seen. Now, I've been to the place where Jesus' tomb was, and I've looked inside, and guess what? It's empty. It's still empty. And Jesus has risen. And I think if Thomas were to post on social media, he would say, hashtag, I believe. I believe. Do you? Pray with me.
Father, for most of us, it's a huge day of celebration to think about the grave being empty, that we have a living hope. We've been born again into a living hope, that there's life beyond this life, that you've transformed us from hopelessness to hope, and this hope is overflowing in us. We just want to tell everybody that we've got good news that Jesus has risen. But for some, there's more of a struggle, more of a battle. And I want them to know, Lord, that you battled for them, that you're a warrior who went to a cross to show the enormity of your love, that you were taking away their sin, and then you showed by your empty grave that you have power over death. Would you breathe into us hope? Would you take your Holy Spirit and breathe that hope to us, to a young mom who's struggling with her little children, to a soldier who's away from home, to somebody who's fighting against depression, despair, to someone who's battling an illness, Lord, they need some hope. They need the hope the Holy Spirit supplies. So may you, God of hope, fill us with peace and joy on this day as we place our trust in you, that our hearts would overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Only you have the power, Holy Spirit, to illumine our minds, to help us to see what we haven't seen. May that breath of the Spirit open our hearts to see what we haven't seen and to feel what we haven't felt, that we have a living we pray in Jesus' name. So faith is being sure of what we hope for, confident of what we do not see. Thomas was given a full revelation of the resurrection. But we believe it by faith. You know, it was a time in my life and I was flying a lot, kind of like the season we're in now with this 737 MAX um, problem of planes going down. People were really edgy about flying. I was seated beside someone who was really, really nervous about this flight we were on because there had been a crash the day before. And she was taking drugs and she was trying to get her mind off the fact we were flying. And I looked at her and I said, you know, if this plane goes down, I'm going up. And I was trying to convey to her that I've got a hope beyond this life. That no matter what happens in this world, that the promise of God is sure and the word of God is true. And I've internalized that and I've got a hope. I'm just going to share my hope with you that if we go down, we're go I'm going up. And I'd like you to go with me. You know, traditionally um, in churches, a pastor would say, Christ is risen. And the people would say, Christ is risen indeed. And I think you can probably outshout the first service. But I just want to say to you that Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. He is. Amen. And we do this every Sunday. So we'll be back again next Sunday. So you come back. We'll hit Ephesians chapter 2 and learn some more about who God is and what he's called us to. God bless you all. Happy Easter.